All right, welcome back everyone to Poe Unplugged once again. And we are going to talk about one of the first, or I guess it could be the first detective story ever published. I'm going to say published because I won't say written because there could be more out there written. But we're going to talk about the murders in the Rue Morgue. So welcome everyone. I am Jeannie Smith. And I am Carmen Bolden. And we are... The the potastic, potastic two. <laughs> now, now, see, I led you on that one. Okay, so we have a special guest tonight joining us, Alex. I'm not going to butcher your last name, so you can introduce yourself. Uh, so, if you have not already, we did a little interview with him on our Poe discussions. You can mm-hmm. check us out either on our YouTube channel or on our podcast to listen in. He has some great information because he is a diehard Poeman himself. Hey, there's yes. a new thing, Poeman. Yes. <laughs> so, Alex, would you like to introduce yourself before we get started? Of course. <clears throat> yes, thank you very much for having me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm Alex Zavistovich. I'm the founder and artistic director of the National Edgar Allan Poe Theater in Baltimore. We're the only theater in the entire world that's dedicated to the adaptation of the works of Poe for the stage for broadcast and in schools for education we've done some live broadcasts but we've mostly our or live productions rather but our our claim to fame is that we've done oh gosh a couple of dozen now uh adaptations of the works of edgar Allan poe that are streamable on national public radio amazon music uh apple podcasts stitcher rhapsody i mean every time i turn around there's another place um and the one that we just released on the uh anniversary of poe's birth uh earlier this month was the murders in the room work so I would invite everyone after this is over to just Google Poe and National Public Radio. We're the first hit, Poe Theater on the Air. And you'll be able to hear uh, our radio adaptation, which runs about an hour in length. Yeah, we okay. did it live at the, at the Pratt Library in Baltimore. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that was actually going to be my next question. If you had ever done a uh, reenactment or adaptation of the murders in the Rue Morgue, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going to be doing all three of the Auguste Dupin uh, stories. We're in the middle of uh, getting ready for we're getting ready for rehearsing for the next one, which is the mystery of Marie Roger, which we will also be recording live at the Pratt Library. All of these are now, in addition to being pub, uh, available on National Public Radio, are now part of the Maryland Special Collections of the uh, Pratt Library, which is the main library system in in all of baltimore so we're very happy about that and it's uh, it's been, it's been a challenge bringing these uh these stories in particular to life as a as a radio drama oh interesting is it yeah. just the adaptation of the turning it into more of a play like the writing of it well yeah i mean to a lesser extent with Rue Morgue, but certainly uh, with the mystery Marie Roger, the device by which the story or the, the mystery is uncovered is through either interviews or newspaper accounts. Yeah. And, in, and as you well know, with Rue Morgue, I mean, there are like 
15 witnesses and each and every single one of them had an opinion. And I mean, you can't do like 50, okay, we're going to have this particular radio show is going to have 20 characters. You know, you just can't do that. So you have to find a way to take all of the, all of the points that are raised in these various interviews and compress them into, you know, one or two characters. And that's the, that's the, entirely the case with the mystery of Marie Roger that entire thing is told in newspaper accounts so it's it's a challenge um plus it just they they lack kind of the structure of uh, a radio drama and you can see how the Sherlock Holmes character became so successful off the back of Auguste Dupin because you know Poe was the first person to to create the modern detective story. And so he made all the mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone else could kind of go, oh, well, you really should have done this, this, and this. And then they did it. And then they get all the accolades. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. That would do it. I mean, does anyone here, is this the first time you've ever read the Murders in the Room Morgue? Because I know, Keith, you've already, you'd read it before, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about mm-hmm. it, yeah. Yes. And uh, Leela? You did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've read it before. Yeah, Will, what about you guys, Micah and Holly? You've read it too, right? Yeah, I read it. The last yeah. time I read this was the fall of 2022 when I was in in Boston in Canada because I bought this. I bought my Poe book in Boston, so oh, okay. I reread the first 17 pages yesterday. I was going to read read the rest of it again today, but I had some household chores to do. So, but I'm still fresh. <laughs> I remember how it ends and all that. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel unprepared. Yeah. So, oh, well. So, the, <laughs> oh, yeah. Micah also being a Sherlock Holmes fan, he had read it too. Cause, yes. I mean, that's the thing. Most people, when they think about the, the detective that is all about, you know, searching for clues and, and looking for forensics, everybody automatically goes to Sir Arthur Coder Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And, then when you bring up August Devine, it's like, who? You know? Yeah. And it, I think this was the first one that when I read it, I was thinking, why Why does he have such a fascination with the French? That was the thing I was thinking of with Poe, because I'm like, the dude's American, and I know it's the early 1800s, so, you know, we are still kind of a melting pot of all different nationalities but why is he so fascinated that he places all this in france yeah well he was fluent in french so with studying the classical you know classical works and studies and things like that so i think it was a way that he could use some of his other skills besides writing you know with the, the french aspect maybe yeah but i guess one of the things that really bothered me is because if you think about in the Boston area and even in Baltimore and New York and those, there was not a lot of French influence because most of the French influence you would find in New Orleans or more in the Midwest area because they were mostly the Canadian coming down from the Quebec area. Now, there were some in New York, but I'm just saying it was more because they were trappers. That's what in history points when the French started coming to new America, it was more, they were working alongside and they were more the trappers and all that kind of stuff. They weren't as inundated, I guess, as the British. So I guess that's why I'm thinking 
why I know he probably learned a lot of French, but why would you take that and turn it into the center of your setting? Is what I'm asking because, I, you know, well, it, I, it, you know. yeah, I mean, if I could venture again, first, I mean, keep in mind that Poe actually attended boarding school in England mm -hmm. when he was younger. That's where he learned not only uh, the Romance languages, but Latin and some other uh, languages. <clears throat> I mean, part of it is really that he just thought that France was an exotic locale, you know, yeah. and the people are uh, people in in America were a little bit more still, as we all are still, you know, smitten with with uh, Europe, you know, things of European nature, you know, I mean, I don't know about you folks, but I'm still a sucker for a British accent, you know. Yes. <laughs> Me too. I agree. So, so, you know, and he was not, he was not beyond sort of rubbing up against the things that he knew would sort of elevate his reputation. So if he positioned himself as kind of, oh, look how cosmopolitan I am. I can write about France. I can know all of this, you know. It was, it's hard to make a living off as a, uh, as a freelance editor and writer. So you'll do what you can to try and create a, sort of a uniqueness about your work. So rubbing up against the French is probably, was probably a good idea. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, at the time, right, it was all the, the English or the European authors that were getting all the attention. So he was trying mm -hmm. to be like, oh, I'm American author. But I'm just as educated as these other authors you're reading. Yeah. And from the American perspective, like Alex was saying, at least ever for me, every time I read a book that's set outside of the USA, it always seems so fantastical to me. <laughs> and I'm like, is this book seem like this to people who live in these countries who see these things every day, the language, the names of the street signs? And I'm like, kind of just like, you know what I mean? It just gives it like, I don't think his intention was to make it seem like more fanciful or more like fantasy like. But it does give a sense of like, well, anything can happen in a foreign country. Right. Yeah. Including what? Including a orangutan guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Oh, let's just toss an orangutan in there, too, because yeah. we know they're just running around the streets of France, okay. you know, yeah. just hanging off the Tower. Because I'm like, this would be the equivalent of King Kong hanging off the Empire State's building. We got the orangutan you know, swinging from the Eiffel Tower. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey maybe that was an influence for king kong you never know <laughs> there you go could be you never know oh that was the that was the thing but uh but yeah it didn't dawn on me until the first time i went to new orleans and i actually saw the signposts in new orleans that say rue and i went what why why is that on uh new orleans signposts and then it just hit me because rue is french for street so mm -hmm. duh. so that's why i'm like hey you want to get a little bit of french influence and can find probably some murder just hop on down in new orleans people i don't know about the orangutans though you'd find, you'd probably find more of uh vampires vampires and, uh, <laughs> yeah yes okay don't and this is this is totally off topic, but I have to share this real quick snippet. I had, I was awakened, woken from a dream last night um, that I was turned into a vampire by Bella Lugosi. So just, just to let Jealous. you know, I didn't sleep well last night. So just throwing that out there and okay. Anyway, let's move on. 
Well, that's a little much. You know? yes. Well, Bela Lugosi did do the movie. Yes, yes. He was, was in the in first that movie, so it could have been. I know. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Yes. <laughs> At least you weren't dreaming about getting attacked by orangutan. But okay. That's very true. That is very true. And Wait. Will says, does his charm transcend the ages? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I follow his Instagram for, for my Bella pictures. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the story. Just had to throw that out there since <laughs> since vampires were mentioned. Yeah. But um, well, Carmen uh, and I were discussing before you guys got on here about the movies that have been adapted for these. And we were like, I mean, she was like talking about the one with George C. Scott and that was 80 something. Mm -hmm. And then I was saying, well, more, I'm more apt for the Bella Lugosi one that I just like it because it, it holds a little bit closer to the story for me as far as the narrator and some of the more apt of things. Of course, it's fantastical in certain areas, but I, like I told her, I said, the thing I didn't like about the George C. Scott one was because, you know, Val Kilmer, they actually made him a more, you know, fleshed out character where that to me, with you name. Don't want, yeah, yeah, with a name and stuff. But Poe likes mm -hmm. to leave that mystery, you know, and when they mm -hmm. did that, they took away the mystery of the narrator for me. Yeah. Ah, uh, interest. That's a really interesting perspective. Because that's one of the things that we found to be a shortcoming in the Poe writing, actually, <clears throat> which is why we, why I, my theory, my speculation all along was um, that's why Sherlock Holmes ended up doing better as a character in literature than Dupin. Because I mean, here you've talked, you've got a a, a person. Not not an omniscient narrator, literally the guy's roommate. And yeah. three, three stories go by, you don't even learn his first name. Where or and you don't know anything about their relationship except that they stay up until the middle of the night and then go carousing and trying to solve crimes. And it's like a buddy caper where you only have the name and identity of one buddy. But yeah. in, but when Sherlock Holmes comes around, he, you know, all of a sudden you've got James Watson. He's got a, a backstory. The two of them have a relationship. Mm -hmm. So when we when we started doing the <clears throat> the adaptation, the first thing we we did was look. We have to have actual characters for these unnamed characters. In otherwise, what have you got? You know, you got one guy who doesn't have a voice. You've got uh, a, the police prefect that's just one initial. You know. Yeah really hard to build a uh, a relationship with that you know so it's interesting that that for you the 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 anonymity of the narrator was actually an an attraction i'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that so what what is it about that sort of like the the anonymous narrator that that really that you felt was compelling well it builds more of a mystery to me because by not giving the the details or the the background you can kind of live with maybe you know during the story especially when you, you're trying to figure out well who caused the murders who did the murders you can actually build the narrator with no voice or no identity as big you know is he the killer is you know is he part of this process is he is he you know more involved than he should be or is he just one of those things that many people when you walk down the street you walk by you see them but you don't really notice them 
yeah. you know, yeah. you don't know yeah. what point they play in the world. Hmm. You know, I've even saw some, you know, some research done that in the police have done that say that at one point in time, you're passing maybe uh, a killer on the street and they're just normal people. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And That's I guess because I, I like building the character in my own mind mm-hmm. and, and going along with it that way that sometimes I don't like it when people tell me too much i guess is how i'm trying to explain it okay yeah yeah Yeah. i I like having a name to the character but uh, i i think that because he is so ambiguous and and unnamed it it allows the reader to insert herself or himself into the story and Mm -hmm. and we the readers become that character and we're there with august dupin solving the crime with him yeah, I kind of lean Jeff more towards that aspect where I'm I'm placing myself in the story as kind of the narrator. One thing that I know I listened to this part this morning on my way to school and then the rest of it on the way home. One thing I noticed that I hadn't really I guess paid that much attention before and it was just one little line when the narrator is talking about moving in with Dupine And he says, I had to look up my note. uh, He says his former associates don't know his whereabouts. That makes me wonder, you know, again, he's an unreliable narrator because, you know, we don't even know his name. And is he running from the law? Is he, you know, hiding out? Who is he really you know, based on just that one little line. And so I thought that was just kind of really fascinating because I had not picked up on that before. It may mean nothing, but it's like, does that tell us more about the character than we think? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Well, I guess, you know, for uh, for us, and we're committed to going down this road now, we've all got, we've written all three scripts. So we've got a narrator and he's got a name. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, no, that's great. That's awesome. But what was what for for us? What as we were talking about this, what uh, what it? I, I I guess the idea came to mind. I don't I don't know if you're if you or any of your listeners know the show Monk, or there was another show called Psych on yes. television. Oh yes, like unofficially atta- unofficially attached to the police department. Yes, and have kind of a uh, an abrasive relationship with the police. You know, but the police grudgingly understand they can't really do much without their assistance. So uh, in each of those cases, and as well in the case of like Sherlock Holmes, the narrator um, is a facilitator for the detective. The the world is not user-friendly for these detectives in general. You know, they're just very, you know, they've got such big brains and they're just trying to put the, you know, connect the logical dots that a lot of the niceties of police of polite society can slip right by them, you know, or they challenge those things because of some innate uh, sort of disrespect for authority, I suppose. So we kind of took that and ran with it because we realized if we were going to do a series of these uh, of these programs, they're all interconnected, then it would be nice to be able to have a through line where you get to know each character better. The stakes for each one um, means something uh, taken as a whole and and they develop as like uh, as the under underlying themes 
Um, but the but the mysteries are really the 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 main points in each case. So um, yeah, so you learn a lot about the the narrator and the relationship that he has with Dupin as we go. And you know, as I, as I say, I think for for us it was good to have someone uh, kind of facilitating things for the the detective because as as I said, otherwise the world's not all that user friendly for them. They just yeah. You know, that's a good way to put it. And, and what name did you give to the narrator? Well, <laughs> so that's an interesting story in itself. The narrator's name is Zach Yeager. And the reason that is, is because the Poe Theater worked cooperatively with a couple of universities in the UK. They did a series of radio dramas. Um, it, it was called The Media of Mediumship. So they did uh, three um, one hour long radio dramas exploring uh, spiritualism and phenomenology in like 19th century England. And they asked me to voice a character and actually produce those shows. They're available on YouTube. Okay. Um, and the character's name was Zach Yeager. And at that point, we were still in the process of writing the, the detective stories. And I said, well, why don't we create our own kind of version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? So we're going to have him, Zach Yeager, be the narrator for Dupin. He has his own thing going on in England, and there's sort of like a crossover, you know, midway through. So, so it's an improbable name, but it's all because somebody asked me to play that character. So. That's cool. That works, and it it fits with the the mystery crossover kind of thing. And that goes back to what I'm saying. It's not that I don't, it's not that I have a problem with people mooning the narrator or anything. I just have a problem when they give me too much that it takes the mystery away. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it, and that's the thing. Like when Bella Lugosi's movie, the narrator guy, the one that was living with him, you see him and you're going, oh, yeah, he kind of reminds me of the, the roommate you had in college that always love to skip classes and just hide out in the dorm room and just, you know, hide from everyone and hated anything or Jeannie, are you sure you're not talking coffee? about yourself? Well, there was that too. But projecting. I would hide out in the, the dorm room if I, because I didn't like people. I, I, I still don't like people. I became a teacher and I even told my kids one day, you know, Miss Smith, why are you always hanging out near the door or the window? I said, because I feel claustrophobic because I don't like people. Oh. Said, why are you a teacher? I said, I ask myself that every day. I, I saw a meme on Facebook that says, uh, I want a, uh, uh, I want a leaf blower, but for people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be my meme right there. One of the, one of the interesting uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, no, just, no, you're good. You're good. I was going back to sort of like uh, not uh, the, the comment that you had about uh, not uh, having people like spoon feed you too much, not having them yeah. give away, you know, to tell the stories too much. It was interesting when we were doing our radio drama. And by the way, please, everybody listen to it. I think you're going to like it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I've listened to multiple of your other ones and they're fantastic. So oh. definitely check these out. Thank you. Well, one of the things that was really interesting about having a, a narrator who's sort of more participatory in the story is like, if you'll remember the whole deduction portion of the, the story, um, 
is just reported after the fact to mm-hmm. the narrator from Dupin. He goes out and he does his own thing and he comes back and it's like, oh yeah, I found this out and this out and that out, yeah. which is great. But when you, if you have a more active narrator, out, we, we do an entire scene where the evidence is being gathered at the scene of the crime by both Dupin, well, mostly by Dupin with, uh, <laughs> with the narrator kind of sitting around scratching his head like how the heck did you know that you know but <laughs> but being able to sort of uncover the the deductions in real time and seeing that all happen as opposed to just like reading about it kind of after the fact in yeah. the story was fun for well it was a lot more fun to write but it was it also creates i think it more interest as a as a play, you know, yeah. than it would if you're just sort of like you know, two guys sitting around the table and then I saw this and then I saw that. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so, that that but, makes perfect sense. It really does to do it that way. But we still, brings, still, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it brings up the idea that I've always adhered to that Shakespeare's plays were meant to be, you know, acted out, not read. So it's kind of like if you're taking something that was written where it was giving you more of the the irony of feeding you the story rather than the dramatic irony of seeing it happen. Right, right, right. Well, that kind of makes a difference. You raise an excellent point. I mean, someone, an an old colleague of mine pointed out that theater is meant to be listened to rather than watched. That's why the people in attendance are audience rather than spectators, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that it really, you need that kind of audio component to make the rest of it make sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Micah shared Jaeger comma Zach equals YZ equals stands for year zero or origin story. <laughs> Coincidence. I think not. That's a very, that's very clever. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of steps to put together in your head all at once. That's pretty yes, great. That's like a math problem. <laughs> it's like a Poe cryptogram. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Alex, I have a question since you spent all this time writing out the script, which I will totally check out. I had listened to your interview with Carmen and Jeannie, and I forgot that this was available to listen to by now. But um, I saw a while ago your Blood, Sweat, and Fears Edgar Allan Poe play that you put on. Oh, yeah. And it was insanely amazing. We, we actually quote some of the lines in my family. It's actually become like a staple to say some of the lines. So that's just like the exquisite food, like some of the lines in that we just love. So is there a chance when you get your home base that maybe you would actually act it out now that's a script kind of? You mean act out uh, Rue Morgue? Rue Morgue, yeah, right, all the mirror mysteries. We'd probably have an easier time acting out Marie Roger. It's not something that we've um, that we've said no to. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you've got a, 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 a when the murderer is an orangutan, it's kind of hard theatrically to build it in because then the then the character has to be sort of indicated rather than be on stage we don't want to have somebody in an orangutan costume you know pretending yeah. making it somebody. cheesy yeah right yeah. so if that one in particular is a little hard to bring to the stage but we haven't ruled it out we just haven't quite figured out how to do it i mean the others were you know a challenge in their own we saw the show so it's not like those shows those stories were necessarily easy to 
they were excellent. Whatever. Like your presentation oh. with the narrator, the doctor. I mean, honestly, I was I wasn't sure what to expect. Oh, it good. was well worth the drive. We went for your last night because I sat in New Jersey. Oh, we wow. had my, I brought the whole family. We, we it was a blast. Oh, good! Yay! Good. Like seriously, <laughs> I want to see it again. Oh, we're so. we're thinking about um, uh, restaging it smaller so that we can do it in smaller spaces. We don't need like the projections and things like that. We could just use standard signage, but we want to make it. We want to uh, reduce the size a little bit so that we can play in spaces of all different sizes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Good. But it's a great idea to do the Dupan things. I think that it's, I mean, I've been a, a fan of the stories for quite some time. Oh, yeah, and, that and would you, be cool. And you are planning to do the purloined letter, too. That's the last one in the series. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, in fact, our, there's a, a good friend of mine is a professor at the University of East Anglia in England. He's the one that wrote the Zach Yeager radio plays. That okay. This. So he's writing the purloined letter. He also wrote a lot of the adaptations that we've already got on public radio. He's okay. Really, really great guy, very creative. And so, yeah, he's that's going to be the one that rounds out the series. Oh, cool. Um, Dr. Jeff shared the name. Jaeger reminded me of the Dark Shadows character, John Jaeger, a Jekyll and Hyde criminal. I don't think I'm there yet, Dr. Jeff. <laughs> I thought you I, might I'm be. It. It's, it's in 1970, parallel time. Okay, I'm not there yet. Okay. I, I'm, I'm still a little a ways away. Leela agreed. And geniuses love that, Dr. Jeff. <laughs> or Dr. J. <laughs> yeah, Dr. J. Well, of course, you know, when you talk about Jaeger, I have to think of, you know, Chris Jaeger or Chuck Jaeger. Not yeah, Chris I was about to say, who's Chris? <laughs> no, that, that's another character from another book I read okay. far too long ago that I can't remember what it was in. But yeah. yeah, Chuck Jaeger, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, the wild blue yonder. Yes. Okay. Um. So, yeah, we're getting way, you know, way into the new world. Um, yeah. Well, so what other elements of the story did you guys like, dislike? Any? I, I, I found it humorous that all of the eyewitnesses uh, thought that one of the voices was either Russian, Italian, French. Everybody had yes. a different opinion. And that's that's true. You know, when you ask different people, describe the car wreck or the describe the whatever. And, and you get wildly different accounts. Yes. Right. And not, not only did they give you these wildly different accounts and they attributed them to all these different foreign languages, but when pressed, they all uh, conceded that they didn't know what those languages were. Yeah. <laughs> they just knew that it didn't sound like French, so it had to be something else. So, oh, you know, yeah. The fact that it, what, that it could have been an orangutan making vo vocalizations didn't occur to them. No. <laughs> Well, the most interesting part is that this was something else that Poe was ahead of his time about, about when it comes to eyewitnesses to any type of criminal activity, mm -hmm. they only use eyewitness testimony when it's absolutely necessary. But the amount of cases that hinge or are convicted on eyewitness testimony is 40% or less because it's just so unreliable. Yeah. So once more, you got the unreliable narrator, but at the same time, you've got the unreliable witnesses. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. yeah. And everybody can see different, you know, different colored ties or hear different colored voices or the guy was six feet. The guy was five feet. You mm -hmm. know, it was a woman. No, it was a man. You know, blonde hair, blue eyed. Who goes? You know, but that's right. the thing. 
he's bringing in some forensical evidence that that like the fingerprints or you know other things that are coming into play that have not really been proponent of any kind of investigative techniques yeah so that's another thing yeah, I mean, it, it, he's he's fascinating in that in that regard. I mean, so many firsts for for Poe. Like the Gold Bug was an interesting uh, story because that was the first time that a a cryptex was used or a code code uh, system mm-hmm. was used in any. That's arguably also a detective story, I suppose. But yeah, yes, yeah, so, so many firsts. Poe was um, interestingly. Poe was not just a man of literature but he was very interested in the hard sciences as, as well yeah. i don't know that many people realize that one of his best-selling books during the time that he was alive was actually a non-fiction book about seashells yes so, yeah, so really yeah fascinating, fascinating. I, I have a copy of it but i haven't read it yet <laughs> mm, i don't You've got your one up on me. I don't even have a copy of it. Yeah, I just decided one day to order it. I was like, I want to see what this is all about. And I just, I have a stack of books so high. I'm reading like five books at one time. You know, here's this in the morning, this in the evening, that kind of thing. And I'm eventually going to read it because I'm just, I'm very curious about it. It's in my In Mark's book that he did, The Murder, oh, I'm sorry, Keith. Oh, I just I was agreeing with, with her that my copy of the book about the seashells is in my to-be-read stack, too. <laughs> okay. One okay. of my to-be-read stacks. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't want to misquote Mark that was on here with the the the, um, the mis- murder. And mis- I'm just going to butcher the title of that. So, go ahead, Carmen, you can say it. The uh, uh, Mysteries um, and Murders of Edgar Allan Poe. But I yeah. think he goes into saying that it was more of a he edited it for money than he actually wrote it. Um, yeah. I, so, cause I know he did a lot. I don't want to misquote the book. Uh, right, but, right. so I, I've also not read it. I, I think he was more of an editor that he kind of, he put his name on there. I came, came back to bite him in the butt. Uh, and he talks about that a little bit in that book that he was more of like editorial. He changed a couple of things and that this other scientist was actually the one who wrote it. But again, you have to ask Mark, don't misquote me on that. Cause I'm not yeah. like a post yeah, yeah, Mark did talk about that. Yeah, he bit. definitely did. But, but I think what was interesting about the room more, at least my favorite part, I think it goes to like a big theme of like things aren't always what they seem down to the yeah. murderer. And I think I think the part that I enjoyed the most was the fact when he goes look at the two windows and the one window, even though it looked like they were closed, you know, to the eye, there's no way they could get through. But the nail head was broken inside the yeah. one. And to me, that's like such a great little fun moment for the reader because most of us would just be like, like you know go check this and you're like you're like say that you're the detective on there you're like yeah the window is nailed shut so it's kind of that perception of things aren't what they seem and i feel like that whole the whole story kind of really plays on that uh from mm-hmm. the beginning even the characters themselves the other uh, japan character you know things aren't really what they seem uh with the mystery around him why he doesn't have money the weird narrator living with him uh to like the like you know the money isn't there like you know it doesn't make sense why would someone leave all that gold there so it kind of just kind of plays on one of those like tropes and writing uh yeah like old school so it was cool i agree and also too just the whole locked room murder you know not only did poe invent detective fiction he gave us the first one was a locked room murder and how many times has that been redone you know, with, you know, Sherlock Holmes, there was one, Agatha Christie did one, 
I mean, and then just all the other authors who knows how many have used that lock room, you know, trope, I guess would be the best way to say it. Yeah. It's just so cool. I just thought it was cool that it was an orangutan. Yes. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I, know. I, I was so tickled when I got to that part. I'm like, well, I'll be because right. I'm like, well, this is original. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that was the subject of some controversy there. Obviously, there's like you can't you can't turn around without somebody being, you know, feeling that something's controversial. But for for a while, there was such controversy um, about the the fact that the murderer was an orangutan and that some folks pointed to that as possibly being like uh, some sort of a, a, of a racist statement. You know, and you'll see, you can see plenty of documentation about that online. Mm -hmm. um, and, but really, and without getting into the whole issue of racism, I, I just think that in, in Poe's case, I mean, the first, the first instance of an orangutan being sort of presented to the Western world was in 1833, right? So the, the whole idea of Borneo and orangutans and all that was still so new that I think in this case, it was just, you know, Poe's really weird brain that said, all right, I need an impossibly strong, crazily nimble thing that's going to kill somebody. Yeah let's just make it an orangutan because it was so, so completely out of left field. I agree. But it is, you know, there is controversy around it. I just don't think that, as, like I said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, I think. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, uh, that, that angle didn't occur to me, but I did read yeah. that some readers were disappointed that the culprit was non-human and they, they looked upon that as a cheat or something, but, but uh, I, I don't uh, agree with that. I think that it's just, as you said, wildly original, and yeah. and people knew that uh, much of Poe's writing is fantastical, so mm -hmm. this, uh, um, you know, ties in with that, uh, that the, yeah. the murderer is, is not human, and then, of course, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle used that, too, with the adventure of the Speckled Band. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, you have to, I guess, to a certain extent, Poe painted himself into a corner in that he was able to create a logic whereby someone could make it appear as though they've come in and out of a locked room. But when the logic was, well, you scale a lightning rod and then grab an open shutter and then swing in. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about a lot of space. You know, yes. they didn't put a lightning rod like a foot and a half away from the, the building. That's out in the middle of a courtyard. And they still have to be able to jump from that and grab a, a shutter. When you get down to that point, it's like, I can't imagine any human being able to do that. So now you're automatically putting yourself into, it's going to have to be something like an orangutan. You know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Or if you modernize the adaptation kind of with the Zach Yeager in the multiverse, <laughs> you can create, uh, you know, orangutan man. <laughs> Sorry. <Right. laughs> Or a yeah. robot or an android could have done Yes, it. absolutely. Um, I'm going to yeah. throw my husband under the bus because he was actually <laughs> one of the people where he was super disappointed that oh. it was an orangutan. He was just okay. like, I'm really disappointed in this. Um, right. And I, to be honest, I wasn't here or there. I kind of like remember the first time I read it, I think I actually did like a shoulder shrug to it. Like, huh, okay, okay. Because you had, he created this fantastical situation. So he needs some fantastical answer, essentially. So I was just like, okay, well, 
he explained it. It makes sense. But I mean, would I have been happier if it was someone else, a person? I don't think I would matter to me because you didn't really get to know any of the characters in a story enough to be invested in them as innocent or guilty. True. So for Very me, true. it was just kind of like, okay, cool. Some readers want to have a fighting chance at being able to figure it out, though. So you can't like leave them there, like they're they're right there with all the deductions and they were they're following it, and then all of a sudden it's a it's an orangutan. It's like, well, how yeah. how could I possibly <laughs> put those dots together? You know, so oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, that aspect of it, I'm gonna have to say that you were talking about how we're we're always expecting certain things. We're always trying to figure things out. But that's one of the things that Poe was very good at is like, you should not expect what you're expecting. These things are not, you know, you're, you're expecting it to be a man. You're expecting it to be someone with a motive that someone that actually has a reason to want to do this deed, but you're trying to figure out how did it happen? But at the same time, as human beings, we all are wrapped up and sometimes we get so tunnel visioned that we only see what we want to see. Yeah. We only hear what we want to hear. And that was one of the things, especially with this story, when he's, you know, at the very end, it comes up to being an orangutan. Everybody's sitting back going, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because he he's smacking you in the face with you know it's one of the things that you would never think of because that's what you have to do when you're looking at these kinds of things you have to not fall into that crack of it has to be this you have to see outside of the tunnel yeah i i think too that in the george c scott adaptation they had the clerk you know, because they, you know, the, the mention in the story of the clerk bringing the money to, um, how do you pronounce the lady's name? Um, oh, Les, Madame Lespinaya. Yes, Spinaya. Um, the, the clerk brings the money and they kind of add that character in to kind of, you know, show, kind of put blame on someone that's human to kind of, I think they did that for people that haven't read the story, maybe to, kind of give that illusion of something else right and gave and also you know in, in a way it was sort of a literary device that explained why um dupin wanted to take such an active interest in solving this thing because they because everybody was pinning it on the bank clerk adolphe Lebon. yeah uh, and and it, it's it's hardly mentioned at all it's just that you know he did yeah. that Laban did some favor for for Dupin at one pointers, you know, and so he feels an obligation to to clear his name. We actually in the in the radio drama, we actually at the very end we explain what that favor was. It's not a very good favor, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, he he needed a reason. He needed some motivation to to get in and get active. So in okay. a way, it's almost like you had to have a falsely accused uh, person. Yeah. To, be, to, to, to be able to create the stakes whereby Dupin gets involved because he wants to clear someone's name. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought it was brilliant. I just remember yes. when my, my English teacher assigned me a totally different reading list because I had read everything from the summer reading list and I was ahead of the kids in my class. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went ahead with, with reading, but I, I, I couldn't wait to get back to there on Monday to see Ms. Mosley. I was just like, it was brilliant. It was an orangutan. How original. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I, I can remember um, reading it and going, hold on. I've read several Agatha Christie books and this was in my, I was probably 13, I think. And I was like, wait a second. Poe may be better than Agatha Christie. Because at this point, you know, obviously we have no computers. We only know a lot about what I'm studying in school and what the teachers tell us. And so I was like, I asked my parents to take me to the library because I'm like, I need more of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do feel, I remember reading it the first time. I have the same reaction. This, this is going to sound like heresy considering... <laughs> You know, I'm the founder of the Poe Theater, but to me, I have a, a yeah, I have a lot of the same kind of problems about Poe's writing, which is that it ta it takes him so long to build up to where he actually starts. You know, like mm -hmm. I don't think we needed two pages of the logical explanation for why he made a pronouncement about an actor at the very beginning. You know, we get it; he's good at putting the pieces together. Let's get yeah. to. You know, but it, it, to me, it just sort of make it, I, I can't help but feel that Poe is probably just paid by the word, you know, so because you get the, that whole section while being interesting, I suppose, is still so irrelevant to the rest of it that it feels kind of like, well, I'm just I, I just put it in here because I need to up the word count a little bit. He does yeah. the same thing in Berenice. He's like, you know, my given name is Aegeus. You know, my family I'm going to speak no more of. And then he proceeds for a page and a half to talk more about them. <laughs> you know? yes. I don't know whether maybe people back then had more of an attention span because what else was there to do to entertain yourselves? But, That's you know. True. Yeah. Okay, I only have one thing to say. Some words with a mummy. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. All right. Well, and, and and he starts the premature burial with, you know, news items about yes. uh, people oh. buried alive. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. I just realized Poe was like the the written version of the news today. Where they talk about everything that you really don't want to hear, or they talk about it for an hour and a half before they actually get to the good stuff. Right. <laughs> so he was he was ahead of his time on that time. He was the early yeah. version television of news. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't want to give any spoilers spoilers away for you know Marie Roger for people that are going to watch and listen to this later um, that are not in our group. But Marie Roger in the Purloin Letter, but he did some, you know, things with those two stories that are definitely um, kind of first with taking. Um, I don't know how much, yeah, you know, story. like yeah, like true crime and creating, you know, like historical fiction out of it. Yeah, and then um, the Purloin Letter hiding in plain sight, and I'm not going to say anything else about that. <laughs> So, uh, you know, but we plan on reading both of those stories at some point. I don't know if it'll be, I, hopefully it'll be later this year. Jeannie and I haven't gotten past May. Yeah, we, we, we plan through May. So great. great. Yeah. You're my calendar. By, by that time, we'll <laughs> probably, by that time, we'll probably be, have uh, Marie Roger available on NPR. So maybe we can come back and talk. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah that would be great. Definitely. That's my favorite of the three. I know me most people say point line letter, but uh, I like I like uh, Marie Roche the best. Yeah, really? it, it's a good one. They're all so good. It's hard to almost pick a favorite for me. 
I like I all of them reason, for different reasons. Yeah, Marie Roger, I think, is the, the closest for me because it fits with many of my um, particulars. When I was in, uh, when I was taking criminology, my subject area, my my topic for my thesis was serial killers. So, yeah. you know, that was where my most of my degree was centered upon and all this. And so reading real life case studies, I would always try to find things that fit with what the real life was. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting that Poe being that early on. And yes, there's with serial killers, basically the biggest one of them all. That's Jack, Jack the Ripper. Ripper. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it just, that's why it fascinates me. And I think that's why the murders of the room morgue was so interesting because it was so not normal. I hate to say that there's a normality to, you know, crime, but unfortunately there is when it comes to murder. Um, to some extent, there's always the outliers. Yeah. But at the same time, he was, you know, he was fitting the he was fitting the profile before there was a profile. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Definitely so. Well, any other thoughts on murders in the Rue Morgue that y'all have? I wonder if Poe had planned to write more than just these three stories, if, if he had any ideas or if there was a uh, public clamoring for more of the stories. I would love to know that. Here's what I found. Yeah, that would have been interesting. I mean, he should have taught. It should have, in my opinion, since it was being posted in a magazine, it should have become a serial story time thing. Own the pun, Jeannie. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I own it. I'm there. Will says it. it makes me want to explore Sherlock Holmes now. Yes, and I've read several of uh, the Holmes stories, and they're they're great. Um, oh. I have I've read all of Agatha Christie. I started at a very young age, and I think I finished before I got out of high school because I was just I, I Hercule Poirot was to me, you know, just cut from the same cloth as DuPont and I just, I couldn't get enough. And now there's some authors that are writing in the same style as Agatha Christie. They're approved authors from her estate. And so I'm reading, I've read, let's see, I've got the, I've looked at the shelf, three of them so far. And I'm on a, I'm actually, that's one of my like five books I'm reading right now <laughs> is the mon monogram murders. Um, but they're they're very well done, and it's like we need someone to write in the the style of Poe and create more of these Dupine stories. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> well, someone might do that in your contest. Yeah. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you are a poet, definitely. Uh, once we put the um, poetry contest out there, please submit a poem. Definitely. It'll launch April 1st. And I think everybody on here, I think we sent an invite to read or recite a poem. And so um, just, you know, let us know what you want to do <laughs> live or on video. <laughs> I'm already nervous, but yeah, I submitted mine. <laughs> Yay! Yes, I saw. I saw. 
And Micah did too. <laughs> and turn your artificial intelligence off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I'm having an issue with what I'm working on now where I have to determine what's artificial intelligence and if the person really wrote it. And it's, oh. it's, it's quite, it's, it's a headache. <laughs> oh. oh yeah. My, uh, my friend who's also a teacher went to a PD today that was talking about using AI to help them in the classroom by creating tests. Hmm. And I went, are you kidding me? And she goes, Oh yeah. I oh, said, yep. Are you but kidding me? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, I hate that. Yeah. Well, that's that's bad because AI, as we have determined, does more false than it does fact. Yeah. Well, that's what I told her. I said, the problem is, is that teachers will have to spend more time verifying that the information is correct than they would have put into actually doing it themselves, knowing it's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm even with other people that create tests, we still have to go through and they get things wrong. Right. And I, I will say this. I was approached by a company to write things as an English teacher to for them to feed to AI to know what to write or how to say it or whatever. And I was like, nope, I'm not contributing. <laughs> I'm mm. not going to do it. Um, I was I was going to say, Micah shared uh, in League of Ordinary, Extraordinary Gentlemen, the movie, great movie, um, the murderer of the Rue Morgue is a human being, one Dr. Jekyll. And then he said, by the way, happy Raven Day. Yes, that was yesterday and National Puzzle Day, both yesterday. And I call it National <laughs> Poezzle Day. Just saves time to one and all. Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I also remember that from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because I was thinking to myself, well, technically, would Dr. Jekyll truly be considered a human being when he was in his other form? That's a good point. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, I like that for the most part, but most of it, I was just like, me, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. All right. Any other thoughts on Rue Morgue? Nope. All right. Not for me. Well, this 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 has been a great one to talk about. I think we went in a lot of different rabbit holes, which was very interesting. And Alex, thank you so much for being our special guest this evening. And we would love to have you come back when we we do read uh, the murders of the murder of Marie Roger. That would be oh. awesome. Thank you very, very much for having me. And uh, yeah, if any of you want to uh, listen to the murders in the room morgue, you can, I'm going to put it up on our website, a link to it, but you can just okay. Google Poe and National Public Radio and we're the very first hit. So you'll be able to find us right there. Awesome. Yeah. And Yay. you can actually come join us any other time you want oh, to on yeah, Poe and absolutely. We'd be happy to have you. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much. Yeah. So next month, we are going to be reading the poem, The Sleeper, and A.A. Rubin is going to be joining us. Uh, he's going to be one of our Gothic guests for February. Um, he was the first place winner of the adult category of the poetry contest last year. And so he's going to be a judge uh, this year. And so is Dr. Jeff and Holly and... Um, so uh, he he wanted to read um, he actually wanted to read the bells and I'm like we've already done that so he picked the sleeper which is a is a good one so they're yeah. all good but um, 
and that yeah, one, I wouldn't go that far. Do what? <laughs> oh, Jeannie, I'm going to buy you a mummy. I'm going to buy you a mummy. I have a voodoo doll. They would actually go really well together. Yeah, and so Poe Unplugged next month will be February 27th. It is the last Tuesday of the month. So um, same uh, Poe time, same Poe Zoom channel. So. Same Poe station. Yes, same yes. Poe station. Yes, and um, Holly is going to be doing an interview with us in March. And she, if you haven't seen, her book came out February 19th on Poe's, I'm sorry, January 19th on Poe's birthday. I've got February on my brain. And uh, I have Athena. So check that out. Yay! (laughs) All right. And definitely check out National Edgar Allan Poe Theater um, because they have fantastic work. So. All right. Well, thanks, awesome. everybody. Thank see you, you next time. Yes. Woo-hoo. See you Thank next you. month. Next night. Y'all have Bye. a good Valentine's time. Day. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Happy Bye. Valentine's Day. Yeah. Bye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>